This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with one of the most iconic entertainers of all time, Donny Osmond. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my dear longtime friend, Donnie Osmond, who has 33 gold records, 20 gold records before the age of 13, 65 albums selling 100 million copies, performing 2,000 shows as Joseph in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, who starred with his sister Marie in a weekly hit television show, who has starred on Broadway, who has won Dancing with the Stars, who headlined the number one show on the Las Vegas Strip from 2008 to 2019, and who is currently starring in his own solo Vegas show, shares his life of up and down struggles in his climb to the top of his profession, and how he, the amazing and incomparable Donny Osmond, has kept his moral code, his character intact, his focus on family and God and country while keeping his music and showmanship relevant for over 60 years. (laughs) Welcome to my show, my friend, 1977. I remember the Riviera Apartments, 1978. You married the beautiful Deborah. Your birthday is amazing. You've been such a dear friend. Well, this this, this has been the most amazing intro. (laughs) I'm telling you what, brother. You have changed millions and millions of lives, not just with your voice and your stage presence and your natural charisma, brother, but because of who you are offstage your commitment to faith, to family, to country, to friendship, and giving it everything you've got when less would be sufficient. Ladies and gentlemen, before I even ask Donnie one question, you need to do whatever you need to do, pay any price and travel any distance to see him live, wherever he's performing, (laughs) having just returned from an amazing uh, uh, stint in London, England, because Donnie, he gives it everything he's got when less would be sufficient. When you get to get up close and personal and sit in the front few rows, you women will go crazy because his perspiration sprays all over you. <laughs> he keeps dancing. He keeps singing. He keeps moving. He keeps moving. I'm telling you what, Donnie, you have never, ever given it half in anything you've done. This is the most amazing human being on the planet ladies and gentlemen donnie osmond let's talk brother dave thank you so much dan that was uh that was uh more than i could have asked for (laughs) i do have to correct you on one thing though yes sir it's 65 albums not 62 (laughs) (laughs) all right you got that that's so funny and i think you turned 63 so you couldn't have been a superstar for 60 years well i'll correct you on that one too i'm now 64 (laughs) <laughs> okay, there we go. Now that we got that all out of the way. Now I want to take, I want to take. No, I, I heard a line the other day. It was just so funny. 
Uh, I'm 29 plus shipping and handling. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, They're 45 in in Canadian. In Canadian, there you go. <laughs> okay, so let's cut right to the chase. So you grow up in a family, and and describe your siblings, all of them, not just the four famous brothers and your little sister. Teach the world about your entire cadre of siblings growing up in this amazing family with your dad and your beautiful mom Olive. well you hit it right there on the head the the foundation or the crux of it all was my my mom and dad they uh they walked the walk they talked the talk and i never saw any hypocrisy uh in their lives uh father yes he was uh he was strict and he we knew the boundaries and we didn't appreciate it as children but boy as adults i really appreciate the fact that i knew where the boundaries were and my mom would always get, have that, that loving shoulder to, to cry on, to hold, and that tender touch. And they, they were the perfect combination, the perfect uh, example for me on what a marriage should be like. So when I married my sweetheart, I, I made a vow, I made a promise that I would treat her like a queen, like my dad treated my mom. I never heard him swear. I never heard him raise his voice to her. Uh, I'm sure that there were some disagreements and arguments, whatever. I never saw them. And uh, he taught us the value of work. And uh, um, that work ethic has, has stayed with me my entire life and all of my siblings. So we've worked hard for the successes that we've had. We've had some trials and challenges, as everybody has in life. Um, our life is an open book. Everybody knows that we've, we've gone through the ups and downs. We've lost you know, back in the early 80s, we lost everything financially, had to rebuild. Um, but, you know, life has a tendency to throw curveballs at you at some time. And I wrote a song about it on, on my new album. Well, that sounds like a promotional line. I'm sorry. That's not what I'm doing here. But yeah, so the album's called Start Again. And the 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 song call, it's called Start Again, it talks about you know, you've been through some problems. You've been through, hold on. I've got to just, okay. I've got to read you the lyrics here. Uh, bear, bear with me because this is, um, this is pretty important. It's called, um, this is the bridge. <clears throat> I said, uh, you know, life's not always simple because you've stumbled and crawled, but things will always work out. You see, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there before. So it's interesting, when I wrote that, I came up with that, I thought, wow, that it's kind of prolific in the fact that I have the ability to say, you know, things will get better. And sometimes people say to themselves, yeah, you have no idea what I'm going through. No, we don't really know what people are going through until we, you know, walk in their shoes. But I'm grateful for the hard times that myself and my entire family have been through, because we can uh, be empathetic towards others. And you have to dig yourself out of a hole every once in a while in life. And because uh, life can be tough on, on everyone, whether it be career, health, financial, political, whatever it might be. You just, you know, have an attitude of gratitude is basically is what, what we've, we've grown up to learn to, to live by and be grateful for what you have and not for what you don't have. So one of the most intriguing questions that everyone wants to know the answer to is, in this crazy world of entertainment yeah, and the temptations and the ups and downs, as you've described, how have you been able to maintain your good, clean, pure, powerful, positive 
image of Donny Osmond. And I want you to share with the audience at what, jet, jet, at what juncture in your life did you receive phone calls from your contemporary Michael Jackson and others saying, hey, Donny, you know, maybe you change your name. Hey, Donny, maybe you should go get arrested for possession of drugs, even though it's a, it's a joke and it's a scam. It might really make you that hardcore hipster. And yet you've maintained this unbelievable high level of integrity so when people hear the name Donny Osmond, it has never wavered in our minds, in our hearts, of the superstar human being that you are, regardless of how superstar you've been on stage. Take us through some of those experiences where you actually, you, 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 you maybe struggled with, okay, so what's my next move? What do I do? How do I get a record played on the radio and the, the history behind soldier of love i'm gonna stop talking and just let you yeah imagine. there's a lot of questions in <laughs> let me see where do i start yeah, uh let's go back to questions uh, but they all have to do with the same answer if you if you know let's go it. back to um to debbie for a second okay yeah please um how do you maintain a career how do you become or maintain popularity or relevancy i guess is a good word to say um we need a little scandal as Bobby, uh, Bonnie Wright said, let's give them something to talk about. Um, yeah, I, there was a plan for me to get busted for drugs and the whole bit, and it would have worked for five minutes. I would have been on newspapers and news, news outlets all over the world for five minutes. And then what would have happened later on in my life, Dan, when my, when I started having children, dad, why did you do that? What about my grandkids? Grandpa, why did you sell out, you know, for five minutes of notoriety, not popularity, but notoriety. We find it um, happening nowadays with uh, social media, people doing outlandish things, outrageous things, just to get a little bit of fodder out there and some likes. It's a dangerous place to be in life. Uh, let's go back to Debbie here for a second. Um, you can only imagine how in this world of show business, the temptations are amazing. You know, they're always there. And especially when you're, a teenager or whatever, but more importantly, when you're an adult, let's be honest with each, with each other here, okay? It's everywhere. And um, I could indulge in anything I wanted to do. But I always think back to a great quote that Paul Newman said one time when someone asked him, why don't you just play the, you know, go have an affair and just, just live life a little bit, you know, just enjoy yourself because you're so loyal to your wife. And he said, and I love this quote. He said, why settle for hamburger when you got steak at home? <laughs> that's so good. Isn't that a great quote? Oh, I just love that. And, and that's the way I apply life to, to my sweetheart. You know, why would I want to ruin something so beautiful? And what would happen to my children, my grandchildren and, and, completely lose respect sure it's it's exciting it's you know it's a five minutes of thrills or whatever it might be is it worth it no not in the long run it's not worth it so that's what keeps me um on the straight and narrow in that respect um now let's talk about from a career point of view uh you mentioned soldier of love you know it's, it's you hadn't a, had a hit for how long until soldier of love came well, I lost my career basically 
uh, recording career when the Donnie and Marie show started. Yes, I had the Donnie and Marie recording career, but the television show propelled that. But as far as a solo artist is concerned, nothing really was, was happening. So it was really about 76 to 1989. But I, I started, uh, after the Donnie and Marie show ended, I started recording again and wanted trying to get back on the charts. And it's a four letter word, Dan. It's called W-O-R-K. <laughs> It's a lot of work and you got to get out there and not just promote yourself. But in my situation, you know, it was, I wasn't starting from ground zero. I was starting below ground zero because the name Donnie Osmond was a joke. Let's be honest with each other. Okay. In the eighties, um, you mentioned the name Donnie Osmond, you'd start laughing. And in certain circles, even today, I was reading an article the other day about how Donnie Osmond really has struggled to, you know, to, to get above his image and all, well, you know, just open your eyes a little bit more and see what's going on now and, and say, quit living in the seventies and the eighties. Um, but it's taken a lot of work then to get to that point and sticking to your values. And now let's go to the getting busted for drugs. Okay. Like I said, it would have worked, but I remember making a promise to myself that I would never do anything outlandish for the sake of just being popular that if I was going to be successful in this business, I wanted to do it with my talent and nothing more than that, because it's easy to go out there and do something scandalous to get fodder going on and getting everybody talking about you. I don't, I'm not really interested in that. I want people to love my music. This show that I'm doing in Las Vegas right now, um, it's so satisfying to me to be able to see that crowd at the end of the a show were just smiles on their faces, just enjoying themselves for the last 90 minutes and said, wow, what a journey we just went on. In fact, I got to tell you a little story. Raj Kapoor, who is the most, one of the most talented directors, he, he is in charge of the Grammys and the Oscars. And I mean, he's really one of the best in the business. So he directed my show for me. I called him up one day. I said, Raj, we're trying to fit 60 years of show business into a 90 minute show, right? I got an idea. What if I did Kind of like Hamilton, I, I do a rap. Crickets on the other end of the phone. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Dan, I hear him start to laugh. I said, he said, Donnie, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard of my life. Donnie Osmond rapping, we've got to do it. So Keith Harrison, my music director, he and I started putting this thing together. He wrote this, and it was going to be originally called Six in Six, Six Decades in Six Minutes. There's too much content. It's now a 10-minute rap. And it goes, it all began back in Utah. I was four years old, started singing with my brothers and the sound was like gold. So my folks took a leap and said, what the, hey, we got to get these monsters out to California. And it keeps going and going and, and it gets faster and faster. And by the time it's over, everybody's just like, you got to be kidding me. I even say that I, you got to be kidding. I, I did all that. Now, the first time I did it, Dan, uh, I thought I made a big mistake. Because the first time in front of an audience, I had no reaction. And I thought people would say, oh, I remember that. I remember that. And then they'd plot at the end. Nothing. They were doing nothing during the, during the, uh, the rap. And finally, at the end, everything exploded. Massive applause. And I realized there's no time to react. Because by the time they react, I'm on to something else. And it is so, it's one of the most fun parts of the show. And then another fun part was, um, and this plays into how much I'm enjoying my career right now, is the fact that 
out of all 65 albums, um, I, I put all 65 albums on the big screen behind me. Whoa. And for about 10 or 15 minutes, it's all improv. We don't know what's going to happen. I turn the show over to the audience and I say, I'm going to let you pick any song from any album that I've done in my entire life. And we do it just like that. And we do maybe five or six songs before we move on to One Bad Apple. And we finish it up with One Bad Apple. And it's so fun because people have stories about a certain song and, and what it, whatever it might be. It's just a fun show to do. Sorry, I'm going down all kinds of rabbit holes because you gave me about oh, 19 it's, questions. <laughs> it's, it's so funny that you would bring that up more, more than serendipitous because that's your career. Yeah. Wait, what's next? What's next? Oh my gosh. It's just like the rap, the 10-minute rap. It's like no time to rest. Let's just move on. Let's keep yeah. moving on. Yeah. So so talk about you being contemporary with Michael Jackson. How close was that friendship? And did he ever call you when you were down? when you had the up upswing, but then the downswing, did he ever call you with any advice? Uh, no, I asked him for some advice. I was one of the first ones to hear Thriller. Uh, he needed a ride over to see Quincy at, uh, I think it was A&M Records. And I said, well, I'll give you a ride. And so um, he put in a cassette of Thriller and started playing it for me at 11. The level was 11 and it was unbelievable. And so after he played Thriller, um, I said, Mike, how do I get back out on the charts? How do I do this? And he said something quite offensive. He said, Donnie, your name is Poison. You got to change your name. And I thought, I said, no, I don't. I've worked too hard to establish a name. He said, but that's the problem. So uh, years later, I realized he was absolutely right because that's how Soldier of Love became a hit. Radio stations started playing it, but they were embarrassed to say that they were playing Donny Osmond music. So they played the record because they loved the music and the requests were like crazy. And, um, but then they, dis then they disclosed who the artist was. So Michael was right all along. The name got in the way and the music spoke for itself. Let's go back to when they wanted me to get busted for drugs. I said, no, I'm going to let my music speak for me. And, and that's exactly the way it all happened. Because in my opinion, you're going to gain much more longevity in a career when it's based upon talent and not hype and or, or any kind of scandalistic thing that is your intention to create hype because you have no foundation to fall back on. It's like this show, you know, I, I'll tell some funny stories and, and, and experience or whatever, and then I'll go into a song and sing it. Absolutely. You know, there's an interesting philosophy. So I'm getting a little philosophical here, but uh, there's an interesting philosophy when it comes to producing a show so many producers miss the mark and so many artists miss the mark because they think I just have to throw as much money at this show as I possibly can to create eye candy. Well, that might work for some, you know, stadium shows and stuff like that. But that's why I love the room that I'm in here in Las Vegas, because it's a smaller, intimate, more intimate room, because I can shut down the production, shut down the dancing, the visuals, whatnot, with a mic and a spotlight and sing a song. That's what Frank did. You know, that's what Andy did. And and I learned from these people. Elvis did it. I mean, here was the king of rock and roll. And you talk about excitement on stage. Now, yes, the bar has been raised ever since that. But back in the day, it was the ultimate, you know, the, the excitement, his his dancing and his singing, his, all that stuff. But then he would shut everything down. Give me a spotlight. 
and give me a little song tonight. And the way he sang it was like, it melted the guy's hearts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I saw him live in 1973. I was one of 14 men in the entire Salt Palace. Yeah. Of thousands and thousands of women, just kind of yeah. like your live shows in Vegas, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. So, but you know, you know what's funny about that? I'm sorry, you're taking me down another rabbit hole. This happened just the other night. My career has always been predominantly female. You know, it, it, that's what it was. My teeny bopper based career was all females. The guys hated me because they were into Hendrix and the Stones and all that stuff. And the furthest thing they wanted to hear was Donny Osmond. When we came out with Crazy Horses, it's kind of like, yeah. really? Awesome. In fact, Ozzy Osbourne told me, um, he said, Crazy Horses is one of his favorite rock and roll songs. And I thought, well, in your face, guys. Yeah. But the other night, something interesting happened to me. There was this guy in the front row. And I don't know what happened to me, but I was reverted back to my teen years because he wasn't reacting at all. I thought, oh, this guy's hate. He, his wife dragged him here. He doesn't, can't stand it. And uh, finally, at the end of the show, oh, let's all dance tonight. And the place is going like crazy. We're dancing, you and me together. And we're just having so much fun. And the show ends. He's the first one up on his feet, rips his mask off, and he's, he's smiling as big as he can. I couldn't see his face, but he was having a great time. And... It, it just kind of took me back saying, you know what, that whole dynamic of my teens are, is over. You know, it's it's so fun to even see the guys having a great time at my concerts. Well, I think to your credit, <clears throat> I think what we do is appreciate your work ethic that comes out in every song and every move. We appreciate your longevity. We appreciate your consistency with integrity and love of music and love of of life, you know. The other night, my my wife, she pulls up a video of you singing the the prayer, you know. Oh, the the, the yeah, from the the the, the, conference, the conference center, center yeah. The duet, and to just see how you hit every note, to see how you embraced every emotion of every lyric, mm. and then dovetailed right into the perfect harmony with that that gentleman, you know, in in Italian and did Nathan Petenko. Exactly. It was it was just such a feather in your cap that I think what would have been fun is to just do a side by side of you when you were 13 on stage with your long hair and to see the quality of your voice has never changed, bro. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It just has not changed in your and your and your commitment to, to bring it in, in every song is is amazing. I want to ask you, what what's your first memory of growing up in a home? with harmony everywhere it's just it, 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 it it's it begs the question can people learn to harmonize can people learn to sing can monotone folks learn to carry a tune or were you just born into this family and tight harmonies were just part of your your church service your dinner table you know, your, your family gatherings. T talk to us about your yes. youth and how you caught the vision that this was so extraordinary for you to be able to do that as brothers and a sister. Yeah, that's really an interesting question, Dan. Um, well, you're talking to someone who's been singing all of his life, right? So it's easy for me to say it's, it's, a, it's a learned skill. It's not a gift, but 
I, I don't I don't know any other way to say it, but I think it's learned because I never really was trained, but I always had my brother singing harmonies around me. And when I got the opportunity to audition for Andy Williams when I was five, uh, I had been singing since I was four, you know, just kind of around the house with the brothers. And, and my dad would say, yeah, come on, join the group and just sing, sing lead with us. And so that's why I say it's a learned skill because all it is is a muscle. Your vocal cords are a muscle and you just harmonize. And, you know, some people, well, I'm going to turn this into a vocal lesson. I'm sorry, but uh, some people sound great in the shower, but then they should record themselves and play it back. (laughs) And that's what my dad did, but he would record it. We had this little Craig recorder, tape, tape recorder. And, uh, he would record us and then uh, and my mom would do that too and then play it back and we would hear ourselves sing. So if you want to become a singer, you know, sing into your phone and then play it back. Don't sing in the shower because everything sounds great in there or don't sing. you know, find, find a song that you love and then go on online and find a karaoke version of it and then record your voice on it and then make it. Oh, I've got a story that just popped in my mind. I got to tell you about that. So this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. So I get a call from a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Dina Katz. She uh, said, we're doing a show. It's going to be called The Masked Singer. And you're the first person I'm calling. And I said, explain it to me. She said, well, we're going to have all these contestants and they all wear masks. Nobody knows who you are. And all you do is sing. And we see who wins. I said, Okay, hold on. I'll call you right back. I called my manager. I said, Jim, there's a show called The Masked Singer. It's going to be on Fox. I need you to find out, is it real? Is there any money behind this? He said, okay, I'll call my friends at Fox. He calls me back about an hour later. He says, oh, Donnie, it's real. There's millions of dollars behind this show. So I called Dina back. I said, I'm in. Let's do it. So the producers called me and, and uh, said, okay, what's the first song you want to sing? Because I was the first one. I started this whole franchise. And uh, I said, okay, the perfect song to start this is, this is the greatest show, you know, from the, the Greatest Showman. So I said, okay. And the producers went over to the publisher and they said, you can't have the song. I said, why not? And it says, because it sounds like a stupid show. Everybody's wearing a mask. We have to protect our music. So they called me and said, Donnie, they won't clear it. And they explained why. I said, No. I don't take that for an answer. Give me a day. I found a karaoke version of The Greatest Show. And I put my voice on it. And um, ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for. And I did a whole version of it. Sent it to the producers. I said, walk this back over to the publisher. So they walked it in. And the guy said, dude, I told you, you can't have the song. They said, just listen to this. And they played it. And afterwards, he looked at him and said, who is that? He said, we can't tell you. All we can say, he's going to be a peacock. And he said, well, based upon what I just heard, the song is yours. And I got the song. And it all gets down to what I was saying earlier. Don't sing in the shower. You know, record yourself and hear it back and then perfect those little things. When you do scales, no, 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 right? It's no, 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 no. Hit the note. No, 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 no. Hit the note. 
and then create all of this, these tools that you can grab. That's why jazz is so important. So I'm really going down rabbit holes now. That's why jazz is such an important technique is because you grab these tools that you've, you've honed inside you. You have all these cards up your sleeves that you can pull at any time. Now that's not the greatest way to sing technologically, but, or technically, but sometimes, no, you don't want to sing like that. That's a, you're singing from your diaphragm, but you have all these little different tricks that you can pull from immediately. And my mom would always say, prepare yourself and the opportunity will come. Well, the mass singer, you know, was the opportunity and I was prepared and I nailed it. But T T pain won. I almost won it, but T pain got it from me. I remember that and that was amazing. Yeah. So let's just start to wrap up and reminisce. Tough question of all the songs that you've recorded what stands out as one of your top ones that, that means so much that still has the same impact on the audience that it did the first time you sang it? Oh, damn. That's, that's like trying to pick a favorite child. You can't do that. I know, but there's you gotta can't be, do that. There's got to be a favorite, you know. Uh, uh, okay, okay. I'm going to answer it. I'm you gonna always used to, you used to conclude your show with uh, he May tomorrow him. be a perfect day. That one. Which one? May tomorrow be a, be a perfect day. That was, oh, yeah, uh, that's a great one. No, no, I've, I've got the song, and it's going to surprise you. Okay. Puppy Love. Do you know why? Tell us. I've told this story before. Forgive me if I'm repeating something that you already know, but and it happened to me in 1989. When did you first record it? It was in 72, something like that. Oh. I was 14, 13, yeah. 13 years old, maybe. And uh, it was it was done live uh, with a full orchestra, the same conductor and arranger that used to uh, to do for uh, Frank Sinatra did it for me. Mike Kerb, my producer at the time, was in the booth, and and everybody was live. But here's the experience that changed my life, and why I say puppy love. And it's interestingly enough, um, it was exactly 50 years ago, right now that uh, that I had recorded puppy or released puppy love. So I'm out on tour. Soldier of Love is now a hit. And I'm doing a set list and Puppy Love's not in the set list. I'm at the Count Basie Theater in New Jersey. I can't believe I remember the theater. And the place is packed and the, and the audience is really into it. But every once in a while, somebody yells out, sing Puppy Love. And the more they said it, the angrier I got. Finally, I stopped the show. And I turned around to the band off mic and I said, guys, I can't take this anymore. Give me a heavy metal version of Puppy Love. <laughs> so the band, they thought, oh, this is fantastic. So, no, 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 no. And it with Puppy Love. No, 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 no. The audience, they were kind of like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of funny, you know, obligatorily giving me a little bit of applause. But after the show was over, I walked out the stage door uh, to get onto the tour bus. And this lady stopped me and she said, why did you make fun of puppy love? And in a very cocky kind of way, I said, it's my song. I can do what I want to do with it. And then she said something, Dan, that stopped me in my tracks. She said, yes, you may have had a hit with that song, but puppy love was a big part of my childhood memories and you have no right to mess with my memories. And I stopped and I realized that woman is so right. 
it doesn't just belong to me. And so the reason I say puppy love is because, yes, I had bigger records. Goy Little Girl was a huge record for me, my first number one, One Bad Apple, uh, Soldier of Love, Sacred Emotion, uh, all, Who, my latest single. I love that song. Absolutely. But puppy love really defined who I was and who I am. And I guess in a way I kind of grew up and embraced the past. I guess we all do that the older we get. And it's the third song on my set list. And I don't make fun of it anymore. I sing it legitimately with a beautiful arrangement. And uh, I allow people to relive those memories back in 1972, 73, um, just like I did and treat it with respect. So I'm gonna say puppy love. Hello. Okay, you have five amazing sons, two of whom I know, one I became good buddies with in, in my world, as you know, with Donnie Jr. Yeah. He just tried to call me, by the way, during the interview. I've got to call him back. That's right. Tell him I said hello. I will. So the question is, what would be, how tough would it be to grow up as Donnie Osmond's son? And your children have turned out so well, and your grandchildren have turned out so well. Teach us how you've managed to balance celebrity dad and oh my gosh, he spilled on his shirt on a Sunday meal, dad. And the real Donny Osmond, uh, just help us understand how you've been able to, you know, segregate if necessary or amalgamate, in my mind, amalgamate the famous from the family man, from the behind the scenes, from when we met in your living room and we're reminiscing on stories growing up. Yeah, yeah. We laughed about so many of the kids' stories. <laughs> Teach us all about, about parent, put on your parenting hat now, put on your spouse hat. Uh, Deborah's so, so she treats everyone as if they're her friends. Yeah, like yeah. you do. It's the most amazing, um, the most amazing attitude of gratitude of any superstar I've ever met. Teach us how you, consciously make sure that that works so that your kids know that that they're not Donny Osmond's son. They have an identity. They are born on this earth to become everything that they were born to be, and they don't need to live in your shadows. And it seems like you've always refused to let them live in your shadows. They've become men on their own right. Well, I'm not going to paint a rosy picture because it wasn't all rosy for them. I'd rather them speak for themselves because... Um, um, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but from my perspective, it was difficult being Donny Osmond's son, particularly Donny Osmond Jr. Um, Don and I have had so many wonderful conversations about this, but I think at the end of the day, he loves the perks of being Donny Osmond Jr. <laughs> Absolutely. But he's decided, you know, I don't want anything to do with business. He runs a multi-million dollar 401k company in Austin, Texas, and he loves it. But, uh, and sometimes uh, he'll take advantage of the fact that, yeah, that's my dad. You know, exactly. people say, man, you got an interesting name. He said, yeah, I know. Uh, it's my dad. <laughs> but one time, Jeremy, you know, Jeremy, right? Yeah, I do. Okay. Jeremy's my second son. He was in first grade. And we were living in Irvine, California at the time. And he comes home and he stares at me. And I'm thinking, what's the matter? So I, I don't do anything about it. He's constantly staring at me. 
And I walk up to him and say, hey, Jeremy, what's the matter? And he says, dad, you're a star. I said, what makes you say that? She, he said, my teacher's in love with you. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, gosh. Yeah, he got straight A's his whole life. And then I got one more, and then and then I'll, I'll call it good. But uh, my third son, Brandon. Do you know Brandon? No. Okay, so Brandon, um, he was uh, he and I were having a father and son moment. You know, just a really nice heart to heart talk in our living room one day. And uh, I don't let anything get in the way between those father and son discussions. They're wonderful. And my phone rings, and I see caller ID, and I said, Brandon, I'm so sorry. I got I to gotta take this call. He said, that's okay, Dad. I, I said, hello. Hey, how are you? And he could hear, hi, Donnie. I just want to say I'm so sorry. That's when I lost my dad. I want to say I'm so sorry that uh, your dad passed away. We spoke for about five minutes. I said, that's so kind of you. And I finally said, thanks, Michael. See you later. Bye-bye. Brandon looked at me and said, was that Michael Jackson? <laughs> I said, yeah, it was, it was Michael Jackson. And Brandon told me years later, he said, I went from you being a dad to you being a superstar that knows Michael Jackson. <laughs> so now um, the reason I'm telling you all these things is because it was, there's fun times, there's perks, obviously, but man, there's some bad times too, because kids can be cruel in school and make fun of you. And, and boy, the bullying that went on with my children, it certainly did happen. And uh, so there's good and bad. I don't want to, like I say, put words in my kids' mouths, but uh, they have such a wonderful mom. And I've always tried to teach them along with Debbie teaching them, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yep. And, you know, if, if somebody's mean to you, just kill them with kindness. And, uh, you know, revenge can, uh, can hurt you. Just be kind, be kind. We need a little more kindness. And, uh, in Peter this world Irvine days, but Peter Vidmar, dear friend, Gordon jump, yeah. all the gang in your neighborhood. I knew all of them. That was so crazy. You Great and I people really connected as deeply as we are now, but that was quite the neighborhood there in Irvine. bro. It really was, wasn't it? Hagler yeah, was one of my brother's very best friends. Really? Oh yeah. They grew up oh, together my. and, Anyway, so let's let's wind down our time here. So where's your show? Where, 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 where do we find tickets? And then I need to ask you one more final question. I'm at Harris. I'm now the new face of Harris. I've got my, my face on the front of the building now. Absolutely. And, and um, so we open up here August 31st. You never know, Dan. I've been doing this a long time. You never know if it's going to stick. I mean, you do your best. And... Uh, you you really try your hardest and surround yourself with the best people. But at the end of the day, you don't really know if it's going to work. And a lot of people said, you know, it's not going to be as good as the Donnie Marie show and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you're nothing without Marie. And all that. No, I'm nothing without Marie when it comes to the Donnie and Marie show. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. this show encompasses, you know, the Donnie and Marie elements, the Osmonds elements, my career. And uh, but I did roll the dice. No pun intended. Well, I guess pun intended here in Vegas, but yeah. uh, I did roll the dice and I got sevens, I guess I'll, I'll say, because it's working. Uh, I, I got those two awards. I told you about the awards. And uh, so I'm 
I'm writing on awards. No, you didn't mention. Oh, I didn't mention that to you. Oh, yeah. I just found out that uh, I got the best residency and best performer of Las Vegas. So you had, you had number one show. You know, I go way back with Chip Lightman back in the Danny. Gans. Oh, my good. Really? Danny Gans and I used to do corporate events together all the time. So that's yeah. when I first met Chip. And I know the story about. Yeah, they were they were our original producers uh, when the Diamond Show first came to, to Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. They rolled yeah. the dice on us. Yeah. Yep. So advice to, uh, to anyone in the music business, you know, you, uh, you bring it every night and I just laugh when I speak, I stand up and I say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take you on an emotional roller coaster ride and maybe conclude by lip syncing three Britney Spears songs. So you'll never be the same. And they always laugh, <laughs> but more truth than humor. <laughs> so when someone comes to your show, I think the reason why you have such longevity is because we appreciate not just your talent, but your artistry and your commitment to, to giving it everything you've got. So advice to young entertainers, folks who, who dream of being on stage, either as a dancer, you know, Bonnie Story is a dear, dear family friend with her daughters, Great lady. friends with my daughters. And, yep. and, you know, my connection with Marie, the whole, the whole connection that we have as families and mutual friends. What advice do you have to someone who really wants to make it as an entertainer, dancer, singer, musician, anything in your industry? What's the, what's the bottom line advice you would give any parent to encourage them and any young man or young woman who, who wants to pursue and eventually become the new Donnie? Well, one of the things we're lacking these days is patience and a work ethic. Uh, you got to be patient with yourself. And um, because we live in a day and age where you want everything and you want it now. And we can with the, the advent of Amazon and things like that. You have things at your fingertips. And there's a, a word that goes back to biblical times or scripture time. It's called uh, long suffering. Uh, it's not suffering, it, but the, the interpretation of that word is, is work, hard work and patience with yourself. But if you're going to be in this business and want a long career, expect the ups and downs, the hard knocks, uh, the good and the bad, because it's, it's good to taste the bitter so you appreciate the sweet. And uh, you will taste the bitter, believe me, if you jump into show business, no matter how good you are, no matter how talented you are. I could write several books, volumes on that one. But I'll go back to that four-letter word, work. Um, if you really want to do this, if you really want to be in the business, then you better love it because it's going to take a lot of work. you got to climb a mountain. And once you summit that mountain, there's another mountain in front of you that you got to summit as well. And it's never ending. So with that, enjoy the journey. Enjoy what you do. Because at one point in time, I didn't. And it drove me. I, I acquired a terrible case of anxiety because I had to be perfect. And the greatest advice anyone ever gave me, including the best psychiatrists out there, was my wife. When one night I couldn't go on stage, this was during the Joseph years, and I called in the understudy. I said, you got to go on for me. I can't do this show. And she turned to me and she said, Donnie, why don't you do yourself a favor and do the audience a favor? Just do an average job tonight. Now, the interesting thing about that is that because I have such a type A personality and I work hard at what I do, and I give 110% every show that I do, no matter how tired I might be. 
an average job is way above average. But it gave me license to enjoy what I was doing. Even if I made a mistake, I enjoy what in fact it happened the other night here in Las Vegas. I was doing a song and I can't remember what it was and I cracked the note and I stopped. I stopped the music, I stopped everything. I said, you know what? You came to hear me sing a song and I didn't do a very good job, so I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> and the audience loved it. Yeah. I learned that from Sammy Davis Jr. You can't do it too many times because people have, you know, don't have patience for too many mistakes, but enjoy what you do, because if you're going to jump in business, it's going to be hard work. So you better enjoy it. What a perfect place to end. You know, Don, I, I want to have you back. I'm coming to Vegas to see your show. All right. I'll get you the worst seat in the house, buddy. Oh, I know. I appreciate it. And I'll be that guy who takes off my mask. So you finally recognize me on the 19th row and I'll be cheering going, hey, <laughs> Uh, yeah. I want you to see. I want you to see this. It's uh, it's it's a journey. Let's put it that way. That's the word I'll use. No, I'll be down sooner than later. And thank you for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. The one and only Donny Osmond, who started at the age of four on the Andy Williams Show, and quickly took the limelight away from his brothers <laughs> and uh, and Marie and everyone else on the planet. I love you, brother. I honor you and. Uh, you epitomize everything that I'm about, character, consistency, everything I, I dream to be, you epitomize every day of your life. Thank you, bro. Thank you, Dan. Good to see you, buddy. Have a wonderful day. Yes, well, see you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.